Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our I Believe God Sermon Series. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. This week, we're going to discover one more thing about about faith. But as we start this morning, I just want to ask you if you can think of some people in your life, some people in your life that you would say, you know, I look at this person and I just admire them. I've got a lot of admiration for this person. When I think about this, there's a number of illustrations I can come up with with people that I admire. But I want to tell you about someone I've mentioned him before, but someone that I admire. And that's my, uh, my grandfather, Gordon Harwood. Call him Daddy Doe. My grandfather died, went home. All my grandparents have passed off this earth. And my grandfather died, um, was about five years ago, Dad? Maybe he passed away. And this is my mom's dad. And she's actually at home watching one of our sick kids today. So you have to tell her we talked about Daddy Doe. But she'd be crying right now. Like as soon as I show the picture, she's like, I love my daddy. <laughs> and she starts that. So they, you, know, you know why we would do that is we just love Gordon Harwood. Gordon was married to Maggie, and uh, we called her Mama, Daddy Doe and Mama, Mama and Daddy Doe. Loved going to their house. I admired Daddy Doe and Mama for a number of reasons. They served in their church. She ran the daycare of their church and nurseries of their church for 40 years. That's somebody who loves ministry and kids. Some of y'all are like, I can't even do 40 minutes upstairs. Like, when is pastor going to be done? And not mama. <clears throat> but can I tell you, one of the biggest reasons I admire Daddy Doe, my grandmother got diagnosed with dementia, Alzheimer's in 2007. No, no, it was 2000, or no, it was uh, 1999. 1999, she got diagnosed in 1999 with dementia, Alzheimer's. And they said to Gordon, they said, Gordon, we're gonna have to put Maggie in a home. Gordon said, no, you're not. She's my wife. He said, I said, till death do us part in sickness and in health, and I meant every word of it. And I watched from 1998, 1999 to 2008 when she passed away. I watched my grandfather for 10 years 10 years, literally, and I'm not exaggerating, literally alter everything in his life to the point of they moved their bedroom downstairs to the dining room and the formal dining room. So then they just had a little nook and he, she was bedridden. I watched my grandfather for 10 years take care of her every day, every day. We would go there and we'd say, hey, Daddy Doe, we're going you know, to go and get a bite to eat. Let's, let's call and get the nurses to come in and watch Mama. He'd say, nope, nope, just bring me something. Nope, just bring me something. He'd say, I'm not, I'm not leaving Maggie. I'm not leaving Mama's side. And I watched as he would sit next to her and, and he would hold her hand and he'd just tell her how much he loved her. He'd kiss her cheek and he'd pat her and he'd just, he'd just talk to her like they're having a conversation. He'd say, well, Maggie, I was thinking about, thinking about moving that decoration right there. You, oh, oh, you don't like that? Okay, all right, calm down. And, of course, she wouldn't even be talking. He'd calm down, Maggie. It's okay, it's okay. What about if I, oh, oh, you want me to move? Okay. 
and he'd just have a conversation with her. And some of you look at that and you'd think, man, he's crazy. He was. He's a little crazy. But Daddy Doe, he loved God and he loved my grandmother. And you know what? At the funeral, I still have my notes. I got to speak a little bit at the funeral. And I remember I got up and I talked to people about what real love looks like. And you know what? I was standing right there next to the casket and I said, if you want to ask me, Dennis and everybody, everybody back there calls me DJ. And I said, if you ask me, DJ, what, what do you think real love looks like? I was able to say that right there. Gordon Harwood, it's real love. I admire that. I admire his love. Can you think of somebody in your life that you just admire? Maybe it's their work ethic. Maybe it's their character. Maybe it's their devotion to their family. Maybe it's their love like Gordon Harwood. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know, maybe it's something in their life that you just look and you say, I absolutely admire that. Oh, I'm sure there is probably some characteristics you admire in people. But I want to ask you a question this morning. What do you think it takes to get God to stop and admire? Does God admire anything? Is there something that God literally stops and marvels at and admires? I would venture to say today that we're going to discover there is something. And we're going to see it together in Luke chapter 7. Stand with me, if you would, very quickly this morning. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse number 1, we read these words. In Luke 7, verse 1, Now when he had ended all his saying in the audience of the people, Jesus speaking, he entered into Capernaum, and a certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him to the centurion, was sick and ready to die. And when he, the centurion, heard of Jesus, he, the centurion, sent unto Jesus the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he, the centurion, was worthy for whom he, Jesus, should do this. For he loveth our nation. He hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under, my, under me soldiers. And I say unto one, go, and he goeth. Unto another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. Why did he marvel? Well, he turned about. He said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. Nope. Not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. Jesus stopped and he marveled. The word marveled there, it means he stopped and he admired. He had admiration. He was amazed. What was he amazed at? He said, I'm amazed at the faith of this centurion. Today I'm going to talk with you very quickly this morning about understanding that you and I, we can have a faith to be admired a faith to be marveled at. And I hope that we'll make the decision today that we're going to commit some of these thoughts to our own heart that this week we might live out a real faith that God could look at and say, I admire that. And I think there'll be some challenges for us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer and ask him to speak to us. And this morning you might just take a second and 
just in the quietness of the moment, ask God to speak to you today. Ask him to help you this morning. God, help me to hear from you today. And then make the commitment. God, if you speak to me, I'm listening to you. I'll respond today. I'm listening. I want to respond to you today. Dear Lord, we thank you for the day. Thank you for the word of God and how it applies to us. Thank you for the time of worship and song this morning and giving. Lord, thank you for the uh, ideas and announcements about the, uh, the property and uh, Lord Ministry Involvement Sunday. Lord, we just thank you for allowing us uh, such an incredible church family that we can come and gather together every week. And so, Lord, I pray that we would commit this time to you right now, and God, that you'd help us to understand in these next few moments that you want to speak to us on an individual level. God, help us today to uh, take in some of these characteristics that would help us to have a faith to be admired. Lord, we love you. We pray that you'd grow us this morning. If there's anybody here, Lord, that does not know you as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day they come to know you. And Father, we again, we love you, and we pray that you'd be glorified through the service. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. I want to tell you this morning, as you come to uh, this passage, at this story, it takes place about the same time and same, uh, in the same place as our story from last week. Actually, last week's story of Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue uh, there in Capernaum, it would take place probably two or three days after the story that we're reading right here. The, the story of the centurion. The Bible brings us back into Capernaum, that wonderful city right there on the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus would have spent most of his earthly ministry. Of course, we know of a number of miracles and things that took place uh, there in uh, in. Capernaum, just right next to the Sea of Galilee, and I love uh, going to Capernaum when we go to Israel. If you're going with us this year in November, uh, man, we're going we're gonna to go to Capernaum and walk these streets and be able to see this area where all of these things took place. But our story takes place as Jesus comes into Capernaum and, uh, again, just finishing some teaching, and as he comes in, we find this centurion, this centurion who sent servants to meet Jesus, to beg the healing of his servant back home. So there's a sick servant back home, nigh unto death. The other servants come and they say, Master, Jesus, Lord, our centurion, the Roman guard who's over us, he wants you to heal a slave. So Jesus turns and goes towards the house. As he gets near the house, we read what took place. The centurion sends another servant out. Jesus, don't even come. Don't even come here. I'm unworthy to come to you, and I'm unworthy for you to come into my roof, under my roof. Don't even come. Don't even step foot in my house. Simply speak the word, because I'm in command of soldiers. I say, go, and one goeth, come, and one cometh. I understand the authority that you have. I recognize the power that you have. He recognized that he was the son of God, and he said, you don't, don't even have to come. Just simply speak the word. And the Bible tells us that because of that, Jesus' response, verse number nine, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, turned about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Jesus stopped and he marveled and he admired this man. Well, why did he marvel and admire this man? Because of this man's faith. As we come to this passage today, I want us to see what a faith to be marveled at looks like. I want you to notice, first of all, with me, the, a faith to be marveled at, number one, it resorts to Christ. A faith to be marveled at 
always is in Jesus Christ and him alone. In our passage, we read about the centurion's servant being sick and near unto death or nigh unto death. The centurion had a good relationship with this servant. He loved him, and this servant was dear unto the centurion. Well, at this point of need, I want us to notice who the centurion heard of and who he turned to. We saw it. We've already talked about it. Verse number three, when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him. Well, what did he send unto him? The request. That's the, he sent unto him the request, the elders to, or the, uh, the elders of the Jews beseeching him, begging him that he would come and heal his servant. Hey, Jesus, you are who I'm turning to. When he heard of Jesus, he sent word to him. And this man, he's in a time of need and he knew where to turn. He knew who to trust in that situation and in that moment. And we don't know what he had heard. Apparently, he had heard enough that he knew I can trust this man, Jesus. Maybe he heard about the miracles or about the teaching or maybe he heard about other things that had been done. But regardless of what it was, this man was convinced, hey, I'm in need and I know who I can turn to. The centurion knew that Jesus was the only answer for his situation. You want to know why we often fail to trust God or follow God in faith like we should or more consistently? It's because at times we think there's a better solution to our situations. At times we feel that we can turn to ourselves or we can turn to some other outlet to accomplish a task or to overcome a situation or to meet a need. We think we can solve problems. We think that we don't need God. And many Christians don't live in need of God. I'm going to address it in our afternoon in-home fellowships. Today we have our in-home fellowships. We'll hear about those in just a moment. I'm going to address it on the video, but I want to tell you this very quickly, that many believers... Many believers fail to have a real and active faith and trust in God because we believe that we can handle our own situations and we fail to see our need of God. We live what we're calling in the afternoon session and our in-home fellowships, we live an ought-to Christianity rather than a need-to Christianity. Ought-to says I ought to do those things. There's not a lot of motivation there. Need to says, I'm in desperation of that. And there's a lot of Christians that live, well, I ought to talk with the Lord and walk. I ought to trust God. There's not a lot of motivation there. You know, we need to be, we need to be on the opposite end of it that says, I desperately need God. And when I wake up on Monday morning, I need God. And when I go to work with those coworkers, I need, some of you are like, yeah, I'll easily admit that one. I need God with my coworkers. Man, I need God's help in my relationship. I need God with my kids. Sometimes we just have a, you know, I ought to have God with me. No, I need him. You know what real faith does? You know what a faith to be marveled at does? It notices and recognizes I can only turn to God. He's who I need. One man said it this way, it's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. Heard a story, it's very interesting, but two ladies were driving in a car. They were following their GPS, really without even 
paying attention to where they were going. They were just following the GPS to their place that they were going. And you know where they ended up? Here's what the headline read. Women trust GPS, drive SUV into Mercer Slough, or the slough. A slough is, you know, a little river down south called a slough, a creek, a creek. Water flowing. They drove, they They drove the SUV in, like, I don't know what she was thinking. (laughs) She wasn't, yeah. You know what she was doing? She was following a GPS, not really watching where she was. Oh, what do I do? I turn here? Oh, there's water here. Oh, there's probably, there's, oh, it's probably just, probably just a bridge there. I don't know. But you know what, you know what she found out? Listen, you know what she found out? I trusted something that failed me. God will never fail you. He'll never let you down. So you know what a real Christianity, you know what real faith says? A faith to be marveled at says, I resort to God. Number two, a faith to be marveled at, it relies upon his word. Faith to be marveled at relies upon his word. In our passage, the centurion sends word and he says, Jesus, don't worry about coming in. Don't worry about me coming to you. But say in a word, I love it, Luke 7, 7, he just says halfway through it, but say in a word, and my, ser- my servant's going to be healed. If you simply will just speak the word, I trust that your word has power. I trust that your word can affect my situation. Jesus, I trust that your word can accomplish everything. And he trusts the word of God. You know why I see him rely, or, uh, uh, having this faith that is marveled at is because he had so much faith in who Jesus was and what Jesus was capable of, do, capable of doing that he said to Christ, you don't even come. I just believe that your word is so powerful. What you speak is so powerful that I believe you can just say the words and my servant will be made whole. I believe this shows us a couple of things. One thing I noticed this week is the fact that this centurion, he didn't come to the Lord with a bunch of prerequisites. He didn't come to God with a bunch of expectations. He simply made a request and left the answer up to God, the details up to the Lord. He comes with faith and said, I'm asking you to work, but I'm not telling you how to do it. You don't even need to come to my house. What did he do? He saw the authority that Jesus had over everything. And he's basically saying, I trust you with how you're going to work things out. You know, sometimes our problem with our faith is that our trust in the Lord, or excuse me, with our faith and our trust in the Lord is that we put prerequisites on the Lord. We've spoken about this before, but often we have the mindset, God, I will trust you if you will. God, I'll trust you with this situation if you will. We're putting prerequisites on the Lord. We're putting expectations. This centurion comes with no expectations. He said, I just trust you. I just rely on your word. Many many people in scripture, they believe that Jesus could heal, but they believed he actually had to be there to do it. John 4, 47, when Jesus, it says, when he heard that Jesus was coming out of Judea and Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son. John 21, Martha said, Jesus, Lord, if thou had been, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Hey, you have to be here. And yet the centurion, 
He believed what many others did not. He believed the impossible, humanly speaking, could happen. Jesus didn't have to be there. He simply had to speak the word. He believed that Jesus only had to speak the words, his servant would be made whole. And this was a faith to be marveled at, a faith that says, I will take God at his word. I will not dictate my own direction. His word will dictate my direction. Can I tell you in your life and in my life that this is a great place to be at, a great place that says, I will take God at his word. Lord, I trust your word. This is the place where we trust God to direct us through his word. We simply have the idea of the centurion that says, God, I trust what you say. I trust what you speak. Of course, in his situation, it was the coming words of Christ that he was trusting. In our situation, it's the words of Christ that have already been given. Because he's not going to give any new revelation. God, God doesn't do that. And you may have some, some group knock your door. I did this last week. I had a group knock my door. And these two young men stood there and they began speaking with me. And I said to them graciously, I said, gentlemen, I, I, I'm thankful. I, I, what I say? No, I said, I respect what you're doing. I respect that you, you want, to, uh, want to get word out. I said, but honestly, we're going to very much disagree. And they said, well, why? We believe in Jesus. And I said, you say that. I said, but you really don't know what you believe. And they said, well, talk to us. We'd love to talk with you. I said, okay. <laughs> I closed the door and I stepped on the porch and I said, what do you believe about Jesus? Well, we believe, and they told me. And I said, well, can I tell you what you also believe? You believe that Jesus is the brother of Satan and that he's not really the son of God. He's one of the sons of God. And, you and I began to go down their beliefs. And they said, no, 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 we believe. And they pointed to a book. And I said, oh. I said, God said that there's not gonna be any new revelation given except for the word of God. Amen. And they kind of stepped back. And we had, we had a good discussion. And I was respectful with them. And I, I hope they come back and talk with me. I, I really do. And I, I've had it happen. And I hope they do. But you know what, as a believer, we got to understand this is my authority. Uh -huh. Hey, you want your life to have answers? Build it upon his word. That's a faith to be marveled at. Why? Because it relies completely on his word. Not even what some pastor says. Hey, don't ever, don't ever come in here and just take Pastor Dennis's word for it. Come in here and let's open up the Bible. Let's look at it together. Hey, let's understand it together. Why? Because this is the authority. Man, a belief that says, I will take God at his word, that's a faith to be marveled at. One old preacher said it this way, I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt or else not believe at all. Believe this book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. There is no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the deeps of divine relationship. A faith that paddles about the edge of the water is poor faith at best. It is, little, it is a little better than a dry land faith. It is not good for much. You know, he's saying, hey, listen, believe him all the way. Rely on his word. Faith to be marveled at is a faith which takes God at his word. Notice thirdly that a faith to be marveled at is a faith that receives the blessing. It's a faith that receives the blessing. Verse number 10 in our story, this man, he finds his servant healed. 
The Lord blessed the faith of this man. He answered the request. The centurion stepped out by faith, and Jesus responded by healing the servant. And that centurion was a recipient of, the great, of a great and unexplainable blessing from Jesus Christ, all because he stepped out in faith. Now, does that mean that when God doesn't answer your request that you didn't have enough faith? No, that's not what it means. And here's why I say that. I believe that a faith to be marveled at receives a blessing even if what they've requested didn't get answered. Great example of it, Paul. Paul in the Old Testament, 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, here's what Paul said. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, Paul speaking now, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong." You know what, can I tell you this morning that sometimes God doesn't answer or bless the way that we think he should, but when we're walking in faith, we will look at that and still be blessed. Some of you have had times in your life when you've maybe gone to God and you've prayed and God answered opposite of that. And you think, how in the world... Can God say he loved me if this, you know, he didn't answer this? But then maybe through the course of a little bit of time, you hit a point and you just went, oh, oh, I guess God was working. I guess God does know. Are there times when we'll never know this side of heaven what God was doing? Yeah, there are. I think probably most of us would think about it, but that's probably the case in the death of a loved one. As a pastor, I'll tell you one of the hardest things, and as a chaplain with the Grant County Sheriff's Office, is one of the hardest things to do is walk, walk with people through death. And unfortunately, and Hannah and I have talked about it, uh, I've been around a lot of death in my life. A lot of death. And I, I remember younger, you know, when I was like in my early 20s thinking, why am I around so much death? You know, why, why, why has God allowed this? But you know what I've looked at and I think about even with some folks in here, I'll never know this side of heaven why my brother passed away. Never know that. Never know this side of heaven why Richard Blim passed away when he did. We'll never know that. Never know why Sam Stewart passed away. Never know why Felix Avila passed away. Never know, and Don Honeycutt passed away, but he did. There's others in here that we'll never know why Larry Hall slipped into eternity last year. We'll never know why Craig slipped into eternity last year. Never know why kids, and again, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. I could go around, there's others in here, and I'm not trying to miss anybody, just so you know. But this side of heaven, we're, we're never gonna know. But you know what a real faith says? A real faith says, God, I don't have to know. I'll be blessed as you give me grace and walk with me through this. I'll be blessed as you give me strength and help me endure this. 
And if I were to go around to some of you that have lost, again, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to bring anything up, not trying to hurt anything, I'm trying to point to Jesus this morning because many of you in here, you know what you would say? God's grown me through it. You'd say, man, where I was at the year before that happened and where I'm at now, God's grown me and I don't understand it. Jim, we don't understand it, do we, sometimes? But we can look at it and say, man, but God's blessed me. God's worked in my life. And you know what? Man, my brother died this, this October. It'll be 31 years ago. 31 years. But can I tell you that I still struggle with it sometimes. But you know what I'm thankful I have? I'm thankful I have a God that comes right alongside me and he says, hey, you can trust me. You can trust that I know what I'm doing. What is that? That's receiving the blessing. Man, that's a faith to be marveled at, a faith that says, I trust God and I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna watch God work. It's a faith that re- receives the blessing. But lastly this morning, and I want you to see this and don't miss it, a faith to be marveled at is rooted in humility. Don't miss this thought this morning. Really, this is the most pointed thought that I have today and really the direction that I wanted the message to get to. And that's that a real faith is rooted in humility. This centurion, I won't highlight it. We've already done this uh, through the message, but time and time again, you know what the centurion said? He said, God, would you work? And I recognize I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy for you to work. Did you know Luke takes time to highlight the unworthiness of the centurion? Let me just give it to you real quick. Uh, Rome was over the Jews at this time, all right? So most Jewish leaders didn't care for those in, in, in uh, rule for Rome. Jesus is seen at this time as a rabbi. He would be seen as a spiritual teacher, even though the Pharisees didn't look at him that way. The people did. They saw him as rabbi. We see that all throughout scripture. They call him rabbi, master, lord, and things like that. And so we know that the people saw Jesus as a rabbi. So the people have it in their mind that Jesus wouldn't want to help the centurion. Well, why do we know that? Because when the servants come to Jesus, what do they do? They begin to plead for the centurion. Hey, he's worthy. That's what they say. He's worthy of you working in his life. Hey, Jesus, we know you're a leader. We know he's Roman. We know he's, he's probably supposed to be disliked by us, but he's worthy of you working. Jesus, you can work in his life. But that's not how the centurion saw it. No, the centurion sends word and he says, Jesus... I have no right to be asking you. I'm unworthy to come to you, and I'm unworthy of you being in my house. I'm unworthy of being in your presence. That's that's the centurion's heart. I deserve absolutely nothing from you. And his request wasn't even for him. His request wasn't, hey, heal my servant because I really need him. No, his request was, heal my servant because I care for him. I care for the need. Jesus, I I don't deserve anything, but I trust you. Can I tell you this morning, a faith to be marveled at is always going to be rooted in humility. It's a faith that says, God, I don't deserve you to work in my life. God, I deserve nothing from you. God, I don't deserve for my marriage to work. God, I I don't deserve for my kids to, to grow up and love you. 
God, I don't deserve that car. I don't deserve the house. God, I don't deserve the finances. I don't deserve the job. God, I don't deserve the friendships. God, I don't deserve anything. But I'm just making the request because I know that you are worthy. I am not. A faith to be marveled at is a faith that is rooted in humility. It's a faith that recognizes who Christ is and who we are. But can I tell you this morning that often our problem is our own pride? Oh, we speak of humility. But sometimes what hinders us trusting and following God in faith like we should is our own pride. We think that we're worthy. And when things don't go our way or maybe our faith step doesn't turn out like we thought it should, maybe we don't get that answer to prayer like we thought we were trusting, we begin to justify ourselves. We say, well, I feel like I deserve that. I I deserved to get my answer. I don't see why God didn't do that for me. And so often we have a proud faith instead of a humble faith. We have a proud faith that says, well, if he's not going to do that, then I'm not going to. Well, if, there's, if, if he's a God, and this is one I hear from people all the time. Well, if he's a God that does that, then I don't want anything to do with that God. That's a proud faith. And there's Christians that, oh, we may not say that out loud, but our spirit and our actions say that. It's a proud faith. It says, I deserve for God to work for me. When God got me, (laughs) he didn't need anyone else. I mean, I am the answer. And again, we may not vocally say it, but our faith is rooted in pride. I deserve. You know, real faith to be marveled at, it says, James 4, 6, he giveth more grace Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Man, quit living a proud life and thinking that you deserve better. Instead, allow your faith to be rooted in humility. When we look at the story that we just read about, the centurion reached out to the Lord and he saw his servant healed. What Christ saw was a faith to be marveled at. You know, we just see a healing. We just see the servant getting the healing. But what Jesus saw was a faith that he said, I marvel at that. And while there are many things that we can learn from this passage, the one thing that stands out to me is the fact that a faith to be marveled at flows from a heart of humility. Whether it's making requests in faith to the Lord or simply taking a faith step for the Lord, it flows from humility. Humility says, Lord, I trust that you are in control and I trust that you can work and will work in your time, your way. And so what do we do? We make the decision, Lord, I humble my heart. I humble my plans, my desires, and I surrender completely to you. Lord, I trust you. It's a faith to be marveled at. And so I ask you the question today, will you have a faith that's rooted in humility. As we close this morning, if you know Christ as your Savior, this week, this week, you're going to be called upon to trust God in some things. Oh, it may be big things or it may be just small little steps. But I guarantee you, tomorrow, your faith is going to be tested.
So tomorrow, will you determine, God, I wanna walk with you and I wanna have a faith that's rooted in humility. I don't deserve for you to work. So God, I surrender to you. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.